This is from Luke 2. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As, is, as is, it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms, praising God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will, will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel in the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then a widow until she was 48 or 84, sorry. Um, she never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. This is the word of the Lord. I was, um, I was waiting for the call back. And so I had just graduated high school. Me and my buddy James had just got back to Omaha. We were on a visit to Kansas State University. And at this visit, we were told about this program. And they said, well, the applications for this program are due in four days. And so we're like, well, we're going to jump right on it. And this program, pretty much it allowed you to have, get some scholarship money, eight, six credit, six to eight credit hours, um, and you stay over K-State for six weeks. So I'm back at home, and I'm, we just fill it out. We fill it in before um, those four days are up. So we get it in on time, and I'm back at home, and I'm waiting. And I am just waiting. I'm sitting here. I'm like, yeah, we just turned it in. And I, I called James. I'm like, James, you thinking about these applications? He's like, no. I'm like, what? You know, I'm eager. I'm fired up. You know, I'm like, what's going on? So I'll give him a call. Two days in, I'm like, hey, we sent in our application. You know, what, what's the status? And, you know, Brandon Clark was the guy. He says, well, hey, you know, your applications, they are, um, we got everybody's application in. We're just starting to read through them. So we'll let you know in about a week or so if you guys got accepted. I said, okay, thank you. So, I mean, you know, a week, I'm like, that is so long. You know, because for me, I know that if I don't get into this program, I'm not going to K-State. I'm going to University of Nebraska. And so then I'm just eager. I'm sitting here anxious thinking about it. And I'm like, okay. Give him a call. It's like five days. Five days go by. I just give him a call. Hey, Brandon, how's it going? This is Austin again. You know, you know, I'm just out here, you know, thinking about the application. What's the status? And he actually proceeds to tell me that we're on the standby list. And so he says, you know, it's a little bit more expensive for those students who are out-of-state students because we have to pay for the whole program. So we have 31 students right now who were already selected and already, um, and they're all in-state students. But you and James, if two of these people can't go at the top of the list. So I just told Brandon, I said, you know, Brandon, like, I would really love to go to K-State. The only way I can do that is if we get into this program. It makes sense. Um, thank you, you know, for, for letting me know where we're at with the process. 
Three days later, Clark get, Brandon gives me a call. He says, hey, Austin, um, because you've called me multiple times, because of your persistence, we're actually making two more spots. And so we're just going to shoulder the cost. We understand it's going to be expensive for us, but we want you and James to come to K-State. And so, you know, little did I know that at that time, or little did I know at the time, I was going to meet the guy who was going to lead me to the Lord my freshman year at K-State, because I, I wasn't walking with God. And then the trajectory of my whole life is completely different because I ended up going to K-State, you know? And so I think about those times of waiting. I think about that time when I was sitting there waiting for this call back, and I'm sitting here kind of anxious, you know? I'm I'm, I'm ready, I'm eager, I'm, I'm earnestly waiting, and it's so much so that it drew me to action. You know, I'm calling, and I'm wondering what is going on where James was a little bit more, you know, passive, chilling. It didn't really matter to him, and, and, and the reason we got accepted was because um, I was waiting as such. And the reason I emphasize this story, the reason I tell that story is because there, there is a waiting. It kind of characterizes the season of Advent. We're waiting on the Lord. And there really are two different types of waiting. We have a waiting that is an eager waiting, and then we have a waiting that's a passive waiting. And so this is the last sermon um, in Advent, and uh, a major theme, like we just discussed, has been waiting on the Lord and celebrating His coming in baby Jesus being born. And so last week at our Christmas service, we looked at uh, Jesus um, being bored and the, the significance of that and the creator of the universe and the world really coming in the form of a baby being born like a normal human being. And that is wild to think about. And, um, and so just exciting that we get to praise God for that and him sending his son for us. And so this week, our pastor today, we see a couple amazing examples of what it means to wait on the Lord um, eagerly, what it means to not be passive in waiting on the Lord. And so we're going to See, um, a couple just normal civilians, right? Everydayers. I call them everydayers. You know, they just do normal life. We're, we're everydayers, you know, um, normal civilians and uh, people who live life like normal. And so we're going to look at three things. Um, and they live lives uh, that were, uh, they lived a lifestyle of waiting and they lived a lifestyle of worship. And so three things we're going to look at is the righteous and about life of Simeon. We're going to look at a life that's full of grace and truth. And then we're going to look at the faithful life of Anna. And so to kind of paint the scene of what's going on right now, Jesus' parents, they're walking in and they, what they're doing right now is fulfilling the law of Moses. And so they're keeping in step. And it's actually in Exodus 13, 2, which says, consecrate to me, which the, in the verse is referenced, but it was in Exodus. It consecrate to me every firstborn male, the first offspring of every room among the Israelites belongs to me, whether man or animal. So Mary and Joseph are bringing Jesus in to be consecrated. And what I love about this is that it shows Jesus and the old covenant are in perfect harmony. You know, Jesus didn't come to abolish what was set up before. He actually came to perfect it. You know, he came to fulfill it. And so even Jesus as a baby and his parents keeping in step with the old covenant, you can see an example of that played out here, which is really amazing. I also love the humility of God that you see as they come into the temple, because what's noted is that they had um, to sacrifice they had a, a pair of doves and two young pigeons. And so in the law, if you go back, it's in Leviticus 12, but it actually says what was um, supposed to be sacrificed was a lamb for purification. But then it says, if you cannot afford a lamb, then a pair of doves and two young pigeons will suffice. And so I love this picture of them walking into the temple with, with, with Jesus, with the Messiah, 
because as they're walking into the temple, a lot of people would have looked at them holding those pair of doves and those two young pigeons and kind of just deemed them irrelevant. Oh, they're poor. You know, they don't have a lamb. You know, they're poor. They're irrelevant. And I love the humility of God as he comes and talked last week about how he really does come and makes his home with the lowly, you know, with the poor in spirit. And because it's such a paradox for them to walk in and they're holding the Messiah with these two doves and two young pigeons. And nobody would have expected that. Um, and so one thing that uh, one might think about Jesus is that, oh, Jesus, right, when the Messiah comes, he's probably coming into this temple, you know, with this massive entourage. We're sure the Son of God is coming in, you know, with this entourage and the big baby chariot, you know, with a Lamborghini on the left, you know, and, uh, you know, a, 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 what do you call them on the right? And the Tesla truck, you know. And, um, you know, and all the Jews, they walking behind them, Dolce & Gabbana glasses, you know, and Ferragamo's belts, you know, they walking slow, you know. And that's, I'm sure that's what people thought that was Jesus, how Jesus was going to make his grand entrance into the temple. But he actually comes in, in the arms of a man and a woman who are holding two doves and, and two young pigeons and who can't even afford a lamb. And so that's what brings us to then Simeon, right? We walk in in the righteous and devout life of Simeon. They have this encounter. Simeon was an everydayer, like we said, normal civilian, and there was nothing special about Simeon. But if we turn to verse 25, how Simeon is described, he's described as this. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. He was righteous and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. See, I believe this is the first time we see Simeon in the scriptures, this man in particular, and I believe it's the last time that we see him. And so all we know about him is that he lived a righteous and devout life. And when it says righteous, what they're saying is he really just lived a holy life. He was set apart. Um, he, he, he was disgusted with his sin and he loved God. He was conformed and conforming to God's image. And, he, and when it says devout, it just means that he had a high reverence for God. He had a high view of God, and that caused him to be firm, to be solid on what he knew to be true about God. And so then it says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. So he was waiting for the Messiah. At the time, Rome was kind of in charge. Israel lived in their houses, but Rome was kind of um, running things. And so Israel was honestly exiles in their own homes. And so we're waiting. Everybody in Israel is waiting for this Messiah to come. And so uh, Simeon, was also waiting for the consolation of Israel. But what I love about Simeon is that his waiting was not a passive waiting. It was an eager waiting. And we can see that because he lived a righteous and devout life as he was waiting for the Savior of Israel, as he was waiting for the consolation in Israel. If he would have been passive, it probably would have looked like him just writing off some things that might be tough. Oh, I know God is asking me about this area of my life, but I'm going to just give it to him later. I'm not worried about it right now. You know, oh, this is a habit. I know, God, that you don't agree with, but, you know, I'm just going to slide it off till later. That's more of an example of passive waiting. And honestly, how often is that me? I'm, how often do I put off areas I feel like God is trying to work on me through, areas that God is trying to heal you know, how often do I tell God, I don't want to deal with these habits right now. I don't want to deal with these things right now. So I'm just going to put those off until later on in life. If that were true of me, that would be passive waiting. So I love that Simeon made no excuses. You know, he was righteous and devout, lived a life of worship. He was eagerly 
waiting. One thing that challenges me about Simeon, though, is that he didn't have as much as I have. Um, He only had a little bit of, of information meaning the Old Testament scriptures is what he had. So he knew about God's character. He heard about the stories, but then he just had a promise. You look at verse 26, all that God told him was that you're going to see the Lord's Messiah. God told him, you're going to see him before you die. You're going to see the Lord's Messiah. Now that was kind of all he had. That was all he had, had one promise from God. And he had the Old Testament scriptures and, and yet he was eagerly waiting and he was righteous and devout. That challenges me so much because on this side of the cross, for me, for us, we have all the scriptures. We have the full revelation. We see the story from the beginning to the end. We see God work from the beginning to the end. We can go read how God made the world and man, and then how mankind sinned, and then all of mankind decided to turn to their own way. And when sin happened against God, when, 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 People listened to Satan and disobeyed God. God's perfect wrath had a punishment for sin, and then hell became the reality for mankind. And God didn't want that, so he sent his son Jesus on a rescue mission to bring man back to himself by paying the penalty that we deserved to pay. And that all those in the world who believe Jesus died for them, all those who repent and accept um, who repent and accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, we know that they will be saved from the punishment that we deserve. See, we can read all of this in the scriptures. We also know that all those who don't accept that gift from Jesus, we know that they will pay the penalty due themselves. We know that Jesus is coming back one day once for all. We know that God will judge the world and at the end, heaven and hell will be solidified forever. We know that. We have the full picture. We have the full picture. And that challenges me because Simeon didn't, but he was eagerly waiting for God's promises, living a righteous and devout life. He was eager, made no excuses. Challenges me because I often have the full picture, um, but I make excuses. Simeon was faithful with less knowledge, was more faithful with less knowledge than I am with more knowledge. But then you see also what you see in Simeon is you see his heart in verses 28 and 29. And if you look there, Simeon took him in his arms. This is when he sees Jesus. Took him in his arms and praises God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. What he's saying is, God, I've seen your promise to me. I've seen it. And since I have seen it, God, I am good to go. You can get rid of me right now. You know, there's nothing else here on, in this world for me. God, I'm good. I've seen it. That's all I wanted. That, God, that is all I wanted. At the very core seat of my desires, all I wanted to see was your word fulfilled. God, all I wanted to see was your promise. And I've seen it. God, now you can increase and I can decrease. Think about the threat of John. It's like, wow, I mean, can I actually, you know, I've, I've thought about, can I actually live that kind of life? Can that actually be my core and desire? Like, could I actually have the heart of God? As long as you increase, I can decrease every day of my life. It doesn't even matter. Could I actually live my whole life for God's promises 
eager to see them fulfilled, eager to see them come true? Like, could, could that actually be reality for me, for us? I'm like, I, I just think it could. I think it really could. What would it look like for us to have no interest in the world, just what God has said, just God's promises, and to see those fulfilled? That's what a life of eagerly waiting would look like. That's what a life of worship and waiting would look like. And Simeon lived that life, righteous and devout. And so not only that, but here in the text, we also see the life of grace and truth. And so John 1, 14, it just says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the father full of grace and truth. So grace and truth, you know, there's kind of this perfect blend. Jesus is often described, so John 1, 14 is talking about Jesus. And Jesus is full of grace, 100% grace, and Jesus is 100% truth. And so It's the perfect blend. And so with real grace, in order for there to be real grace, you have to know the truth. And if you know the truth, then you will see real grace. And so they really go together perfectly. And this was Jesus. Jesus is described as a perfect blend of grace and truth, especially when he was grown. If you look at his life throughout the gospels, you see that he lived this out all the time. But even as a child, what's amazing, even as a child, as we hear, see, as we see in this text, even as a child, the presence of grace and truth is with him. If we turn and look at verses 30 through 35, he says, "From my eye, this is Simeon still talking, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for, the, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Pretty much what he's saying is, God, we have seen your salvation. This is a gift Thank you. Praise God. Here it is. We are excited right now. You know, we are excited right now. It is a celebration. Verse 33, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. You know, in the midst of this celebration and this praise moment, there comes some hard truth. Celebrating Jesus and the salvation, and then it said, you know, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. You know, this is like, I was thinking about it. You know, this is like, this is kind of like when you were a kid, you know, and you, Christmas morning, we opened our gifts Christmas morning. You know, you were so excited for Christmas morning. Everybody was waiting all the way up. We had the countdown on the table, you know. Christmas morning, you run downstairs, you finally start opening your gifts, and then you open this Game Boy, right? You get this Game Boy that you wanted, you had been asking for. And then you, you decided you don't want to open up any other presents or whatever, but you know, you get the Game Boy, and then you open up the rest of the presents, and you're about to run off and, and start playing with it. And then you know, your parents are like, hey, um, actually, nope, you don't have time to play with that right now. We're going to go to your relative's house, but you can play with that when you get back. It's like, what? You know? <laughs> It's like, what is going on? You know, I've waited how many days and I can't play with this right now. You know, it's like, thank you for the Game Boy, right? Celebrate for the Game Boy. But then you get this little dagger, you know, no, you're going to wait, you know, till we get back. It's like, oh, that, you know, cuts to the core, you know. I think about also, you know, as you get a little older, you want to go to your friend's house, similar Go to your friend's house, like, hey, can I go stay the night at my friend's house, you know? And then you're like, oh, yeah, you can go stay the night at your friend's house. You're like, yes, sir, you know? 
but when you come back, I need that grass mold and I need you to clean the house. What? You know, it's like, this is just a dagger. You know, it's just a celebration. You know, things are good. And then you get a little bit of truth. And it's crazy. You think about it. It's like salvation from the Lord. The fact that we can go to heaven and Jesus came and died for us. I mean, that's a celebration. Like that is always and will forever be a celebration and praise God moment. But in the midst of this, Simeon can't help but acknowledge, he says, a sword will pierce your own soul too, Mary. And this is the first time Jesus' death is alluded to. And so, yes, salvation is here, but it comes in the form of a rugged cross. Grace. And truth. And so he was speaking to Mary in so many ways, but that is true. This is true for all of us as well. Salvation came into the world for all of us. And when we believe we have salvation and we are saved, but we will face many trials and hardships and difficulties as we walk with the Lord. You know, you would think that walking with the Lord is like, oh, you know, I'm good. God, thank you. You saved me. You know, my life now is about to be good. It's, you know, thank you for it. Got my get out of jail free card. God, appreciate it. Love you. Thank you. You know, my life should just be roses. But it's wild. Jesus actually says the opposite. In John 16, he says, in this world, you will have trouble. He says, but take heart. I've overcome the world. And he says, I have told you all these things so that in me, you'd have peace. In me, you would have peace. God says in Ephesians, he says, my children, hey, my children are citizens of heaven. My children are citizens of heaven. But to the world, to the world, you're exiles. First Peter talks about us being exiles and strangers. We will look different. You see, there's grace. There's so much grace in this life with the Lord. And there's truth. So as we follow Jesus, as we walk with God, and even as Jesus was a child, we see the presence of grace and truth. We will live lives of grace and truth in our speech, in our demeanor, in our love. Grace and truth should categorize our life. And, you know, we'll we'll major in one or the other, you know, or we'll have leans, right? My lean is probably typically to be more on the truth side, right? You know, which is terrible, you know, tell it like it is, you know, kind of thing. Um, I haven't lost too many friends because of that, but... uh, but, but, you know, I don't want to really don't want to be in either ditch. Jesus was 100% both, you know. Uh, I want to love everybody, and I also want to communicate truth to them. Too much truth, nobody feels loved, and too much grace, people won't know the reality. And we see 100% of grace and truth being lived out um, in Jesus' life, even as he's here as a baby. So lastly, we have the faithful life of Anna. You know, Anna, Anna's life actually blows my mind. Um, and we're not going to spend too much time on this point, but uh, for roughly 60 years, as you guys are looking, I forget exactly what it says, but roughly 60 years, right? It says she, six, about 60 years, about the math, you know that. 60 years, how Anna's described. Again, she's never seen in the scriptures before this, never seen after. This is all we have of Anna. This is it. 60 years, roughly. Never left the temple, never stopped praying and fasting, never stopped worshiping day and night. That's what we know of Anna. 
60 years of never stopped, never stopped, never stopped. You know, I'm like, the question, I, I'm like, how in the world did she do that? You know, that's actually wild to think about. Because immediately my mind goes to, oh, yep, she's in a different category. She's cut from a different cloth. She's built different. God designed her special. You know, she, that's, that's for her over there. That's big leagues. Anna, you got it. That's not me. Little leagues, nosebleeds, me. You know, I might dip and dabble every now and then. But that right there, never stopping, 60 years, that's all Anna. You know, and that's what my mind wants to do uh, initially. I'm like, that is crazy. I'm like, Anna was just a normal woman, an everydayer, like all of us. So I would like to say, yeah, I could never do that. But you know what? I bet I actually could. I bet we all in the room actually could. See, I don't think it's about Anna being cut from a different cloth. I just think that she found the recipe or she found the equation. What's the equation? Well, I'll say the equation may be this. The more of God's presence that we have and experience, the more we'll live a life of worship and praise. Just think about that. The more of God's presence we have, the more of God's presence we experience, the more we'll live a life of worship and praise. Kind of this idea, remember from our James series, you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. The more of God's presence we have, the more we'll live a life of worship and praise. You also see this with the angels is acknowledged in Isaiah chapter six, but the angels right in, in God's throne, they are, they're in God's full presence. The angels are in God's full presence in Isaiah six. And what are they doing 24 seven? They are praising and worshiping God 24 seven. Why? Because they're in his full presence. So that's all there is to do. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, 24-7 around the throne. The more of God's presence that we have, the more we will live a life of praise and worship. I'm like, that's the equation. And we look at it in light of that, like Anna, oh, that makes sense. Anna would go in here, sit down, she would begin to pray. She would feel an overwhelming sense of God's presence as she was praying. And you know what? So then she's like, well, I want more of it. I want more of that. God, and, and what's happening, she's drawing near to God and God is drawing near to her. And so then she just continually stays in there, overwhelmed with once more and more of God's presence. And God blesses her. And so then her life, she lives a life, her whole life is a life of worship and praise because she's been getting so much of God's presence, so much of it. So obviously we're not going to just, you know, spend every single day that we have in a temple, every moment in a temple, you know, or, or a church building like Anna, that would be unhealthy. We have life. <clears throat> but what does it look like, though, for me to always be in the presence of God no matter where I'm at? What does that look like? I think that's the principle. What is it like for me to always be in the presence of God or experience more of God's presence in my everyday life? What does that look like? When I'm at work or when I'm at home or I'm at a basketball game or I'm out with my friends, what does it look like for me to experience more of God's presence, to draw near to God in the midst of everyday life? So I had a few thoughts. I mean, one is, is, is when I'm in the scriptures. So when I am just in the scriptures, so simple, this is not profound in any way, shape, or form, but I have seen that when I start my days in the word of God, when I start my days there, 
I often throughout the day reflect on that time of what I learned. And, and, and for some reason, it kind of just sets me almost like my day is more in the presence of God. I, I, I'm more in tune with the spirit. God uses that time to kind of carry me throughout my days. I feel it more when in those days when um, I don't, if I don't get into the word um, in the mornings or throughout the day. I think another one is just defaulting to prayer. For me, those days when I get in the car, I don't turn the music on and instead I pray. I mean, those be the best days. I just, I just get in and just start praying to God. I'm just driving and I'm praying and I'm like, God really has met me there. I've really seen God meet me there and experience more of his presence. And then I want more of it. So the next time I get in the car, I'm just trying to pray again. You know, if I have gaps in my day, 10 minutes here, 20 minutes here, it's like sometimes I pull out my phone and just be on Instagram, scrolling, texting some people or whatever. But sometimes if I leave my phone in there, I just get to praying. It's like, wow, God meets me there. It really is amazing. In the, in the normal of life, God's presence, we can have more of God's presence. Last one I was just thinking is just um, writing God's word on my heart. It's so simple as well. And so I, some, I'll just, sometimes I'll carry around a, a, a note card and it'll have a, a, the reference of a Bible verse on the back and, and, and the Bible verse on the front. And you know, what I love about that is anywhere that I'm at, I can pull it out and just read through it. And I, I can memorize it. And you, know, and you know what happens when I do that? God is almost like he's writing his word on my soul. It is like he is implanting it, ingraining it. And, and you really experience God's presence. And I do that anywhere. I do that in the car at a red light sometimes. You do it at a basketball game. You know, do it anywhere. At the gym sometimes, working out. I'm like, so all these things are things that we know, we've heard before. They're not profound things. But the result of applying them like, really is profound. We draw near to God, he will draw near to us. And uh, the more of his presence, the more of his presence that we experience, the more we will want to live a life of praise. The more we will stumble into a lifestyle just like Anna. The more our life will look like Anna's. So what I love about Anna's life, and this is where we're in, is that God sees Anna God sees her. He sees her. We talked about this in um, a couple weeks back. But God sees her. So God saw her. He saw her going into the temple every day. God saw her constantly on her knees in prayer. He saw her when nobody else saw her. And you know what he does? He rewards her. What does he reward her with? He rewards her with more of his presence. Baby Jesus, she got to meet him one day when she was walking, just doing her everyday life. She's in the temple just because she loved being in God's presence. So if we look at the passage, Simeon was told by the Holy Spirit to go into the temple. But Anna wasn't necessarily prompted by the Holy Spirit. She was just in there faithfully every day, drawing near to God. And what does God do? He draws near to her and she gets to see baby Jesus and hold Baby Jesus. I mean, that is so amazing. That picture, 60 years of faithfully just walking with the Lord and drawing near to God and enjoying his presence. The more of God's presence we have and experience, the more we'll live a life of natural worship and praise. And the more of his presence we'll want. 
So as we close, as we head into Christmas time, as we think about Jesus being born, we celebrate that my prayer for me and for us is that we would reflect, we would reflect on what it means to live lives of worship. Lives that are righteous and devout as we eagerly wait a savior to come back. Lives that are full of grace and truth because Jesus came full of both. And we would reflect on what it means to live lives that are saturated in the presence of God. No matter where we're at, no matter what we're doing, lives that are saturated. And we would celebrate that Jesus has came down as a baby and made all of that possible for us. I pray for us.